welcome to Between the Headphones, Georgia Sports Podcast. I'm Owen Borden, the sports editor of the Red and Black, and your guest host for this podcast series. Each week, John James, who's out with an illness, will talk with Red and Black sports reporters to get the pulse of UG Athletics straight from the source. This week, however, it's me filling in. I'll be joined by Red and Black beat writer Sam Higgs and digital sports editor Bo Underwood. Up first, we'll talk to Sam about Georgia's 27-20 victory over Auburn on Saturday. Welcome back to the show, Sam. It's always a pleasure to be here, Alan. Absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about it. You were there. Uh, you were watching it go down. Uh, you had the up front and close, uh, close and personal view of what was going on this past weekend. So let's talk about the offense, because that seems to be what everybody's talking about. No points in the first quarter, only 10 by the first half. What's going on with that offense lately, Sam? I mean, is it really surprising to see uh, Georgia start off slow? I think we've seen it every single game up until this point. Um, honestly, if I, I wish I could find like a central cause of what it is that is resulting in all these slow starts. I mean, I'm looking at the stats. Georgia had 145 total yards, 77 passing, 68 rushing. Uh, if we're looking at first quarter specifically as far as rushing attempts go, they only got 3.8 yards per carry. And then if we're looking at the first quarter again, only 13 plays were ran. I wish I could find what the deal is with the offense, but they just keep starting off slow against these opponents. Yeah, and it didn't help either that two different turnovers committed You know, during that run. I mean, a Carson Beck interception in the early on, which honestly, got to give credit to the Auburn defender on that one. That was an incredible play from him. But, you know, a fumble from... From Oscar Delp early, uh, first what first play in the in the first third quarter? Pl- first play in the third quarter, opening drive of the game. Yeah, I mean, how did that affect the game and how things kind of went went about? So as far as Jalen Smith or Simpson's uh, interception goes, I mean, I pointed Jalen Simpson out last week on the podcast as far as just like a really good player to watch out for in Auburn, and that honestly, his interception couldn't have come at a worse time. It was right after Carson Beck missed Oscar Delp for an easy touchdown. And I believe Auburn was already up 3-0 at that point in the game. So they had the momentum on their side, and that interception just made the crowd so loud. The atmosphere was absolutely ridiculous in Auburn. And just all the momentum was in their favor. And then going into halftime 10-10, the worst way you could possibly start off coming out of half is turning the ball over. And then, like you mentioned, it's the, it was the first play of the third quarter. Oscar Delp, the, the fumble just halted everything they possibly could have done offensively to kind of like set the, uh, set the tone of the second half. Um, but, I mean, even with those two interceptions, they were able to carve out some really good offensive drives, you know, finishing the third quarter and going into the fourth quarter. Um, so, I mean, obviously you don't want to see those two interceptions, but Georgia was able to overcome the adversity and put some t- points up on the board and come out with a dub. Yeah, and you also give credit, give credit to Auburn for taking advantage of those interceptions and of those fumbles and stuff mm-hmm. like that because they ended up getting a lot of points off of those. You know, those were big for their offense as well as their defense. So I think you can't discredit that in, in how Auburn was able to get to those 20 points. But, you know, also uh, alongside those 20 points, I mean, still, the defense gave that up. You know, that's that's not what we're used to Georgia doing. We're used to three and six point games, the occasional seven pointer. And then, you know, once in a while, Missouri comes along and puts a lot of puts a lot of points up on Georgia. So what happened? Well, how did how did this defense give up 20 points to this Auburn team that gave up just 10 to Texas A&M the week before. We were talking about it earlier where 
the biggest weakness that I've seen and that you've seen as well is the quarterback run. Peyton Thorne, 61 yard rushing to, or rushing play, and then Robbie Ashford also got in the, into the mix along with it by getting, I believe, 30 yards on the ground. Um, and then you also got to look at what some of the things Auburn was doing schematically with how they were running the ball. There was a lot of misdirection. They were trying to trying to get Georgia players off their mark so they could run sh- just right through that gap. And then there'd be other times where the defense would make plays and they would hold them to a third down, but then we'd see a penalty flag come out and that would keep Auburn's drive alive. You know, that Oscar Delp one couldn't have come at a worse time and couldn't have come at a worse spot on the field. Mm-hmm. They, it just put them right back into their territory where they were in scoring range, regardless if it came away a touchdown or a field goal, Auburn was in scoring range. So, I mean unlucky turnovers by the offense and then just some really big plays by Auburn offensively is pretty much the biggest reason why that that those 20 points were allowed yeah absolutely and to touch on that QB run stuff I mean you look at how these teams have been kind of playing every single opponent that Georgia's had to face so far this season and you look at what they did in the running game you know Ball State was kind of the one exception to this where you know Georgia was able to get to their quarterback, but you look at Kyle Kelly, you know, leading the way 32 yards, but you look at the other games, Spencer Rattler, 35 rushing yards, and he was sacked a few times himself, so that's even less of what he ended up doing on the ground game. UT Martin, Kinkhead Dent, you know, 47 rushing yards, and then you turn over to UAB, and you look at what Jacob Zena was able to do, homie got 22 yards. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's been, it's either, their quarterback is either leading the way from them rushing right rushing rushing wet rushing wise or it was the fact that they were number two as their rusher and and these are guys that you look at rattler he had negative rushing yards against a team like unc but yet he rushed all over georgia and again just absolutely both of auburn's quarterbacks cooking georgia in the running game and a lot of that i do feel like falls onto their linebackers who personally i don't know how you feel has been feeling a little bit disappointing as of late yeah, and then especially just like what you mentioned with the quarterbacks almost being first or second on the rushing total, look at what Auburn was able to put up with Jarquez Hunter. He only put up 59 rushing yards. If you finish a game with a running back only ru- their lead running back only rushing for 59 yards, it's a great game. But whenever your quarterback in Peyton Thorne comes out with 12 rushing attempts, 92 yards, and a long of 61, it's going to be very difficult to win games like that. So if they can figure out something with the quarterback run, and, I mean, you mentioned the linebackers, if they need to spy somebody, I mean, that might be the way to go. Yeah, and they'll need to figure it out. But, you know, I mean, a lot of times those quarterback runs happen just because a play breaks down. You know, like, then, especially when the secondary is playing as well as they have been and the defensive line, you know, is rushing to the quarterback and getting pressure the way they have at, at such a constant rate. You know, that's just going to happen. You know, sometimes that happens. But for it to be a consistent problem, it's clear that's something they need to address sooner rather than later. But again, like I've said, there's been good parts of this defense. The secondary, the defensive line had been great. You know, they look like that championship defense that we've been seeing the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And even though the offense has gotten slow, there's been some bright spots. And you saw and even wrote about one of the biggest bright spots that's oh, yeah. for Georgia's team. What, every single year he's been here, it feels like? Mm-hmm. Brock Bowers, what did that performance say about, and even his performance last, last week against uh, UAB? What has that really said about who he is as a player and his legacy with the Georgia Bulldogs? Brock Bowers is a dog in the simplest way. Like, that, what can't he do? Like, let's be completely honest. What can't he do? We've seen him run the ball. 
we've seen him catch the ball. Heck, I mean, like, let's do a trick play. Let's have him throw the ball. He can, he can do anything for him. But I don't know if this is such, like, a blasphemous take to make, but you could make a legitimate argument on why he's the best tight end in college football, not just currently, but in the history of college football, if we're being completely honest. Let's look at the accolades for a second. Two-time national championship, one as a freshman, one as a sophomore. Sophomore year, came away with the John Mackey Award. He's a two-time AP All-American as a freshman and as a sophomore, and he's probably going to notch another one as a, as a junior. He's two-time All-SEC, and he got freshman of the year. He has the accolades. He has the accolades. We've seen what it means to have a guy like him on the team. I, I, it's almost like he single-handedly won them the game in the fourth quarter especially. So, I mean, Brock Bowers is just a dog. He's, he's really good. It felt like it, and I don't think anyone would tell you not. You saw people say when he was leaving the field saying Brock Bowers leaving his new home because he owned that game in the last half. You know, the mm-hmm. defense kept it up. They kept Auburn off the board when not, when not you know, starting at, what, the 30-yard, when, when the Auburn offense didn't start at the 30-yard line. You know, they were given a great opportunity to actually play football, and, you know, they stopped them. They did. They did a really good job there. They, what, allowed only a field goal aside from the one time they were able to get into the end zone off the, uh, you know, the Delp the del- fumble. So, you know, a good defensive performance in the second half, which I feel like we keep saying every single game here. and. Brock Bowers just carried that offense. He made so many one-handed catches, and any catch he didn't make, he nearly had it anyways. So, you know, I mean, a lot of people have been complaining about Beck, especially in last game. And, you know, I mean, I don't think he's a perfect quarterback, but I don't fully see it. Um, And I'll honestly pivot to you on that one in just a sec. You know, but Brock Bowers is him. And I think the only thing that might keep him from being in that top tight end conversation is that he's probably leaving after this year and isn't going to have that that fourth year of putting up even more stats Mm -hmm. in in college football you know but I think that brings me to my next question I know this is a little bit of a spur of the moment one but again there has been a lot of conversation around Beck is he good is he bad is it a concept of the play calling what are your thoughts on him what are your thoughts of how his performance has been so far I think everybody is just being so overly critical on his performance I think just as far as what Georgia fans are used to, uh, especially with these past two seasons, they've seen some really good quarterback play from Stetson Bennett. And especially the year prior, Stetson Bennett looked like one of the best quarterbacks in all of college football last year. So it, it's, it's a little too hard to say to make a statement on whether Carson Beck is a great quarterback or a bad quarterback. But from what I've seen from him, he's safe. He does what Kirby Smart wants him to do. He's leading this offense, and I mean, right now he's an undefeated quarterback. He's five and zero. No, Georgia's number one. You can be as critical as you want. Yeah, he's not throwing. He's not making plays like Caleb Williams. Yeah, he's not making play like Michael Penix or, or even Bo Nix or Shadour Sanders. Yeah, of course he's not making plays like that. But he's winning games, and I think that's the most important thing. And I think that's something that you gotta you gotta regard. And it's so tough because. You know, we didn't really think about this too much because it's Stetson Bennett. It's a fourth-round quarterback. He still had the walk-on perception, even though he did so much in his time here. But that dude was fourth in the Heisman voting. Whether mm-hmm. or not you think he should have been there or not, he was still there. He was still worthy of a vote at the bare minimum. And the only way that your perception stays the same or goes up about your new quarterback is if they're also in that conversation. And that was such a high bar to put for any of the guys that started, let alone the guy that we've seen before make the more safe and, and, and good decisions. So, 
I think it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, people talked about the running back room being terrible, you know, especially last year because they didn't have an elite player. Even two years ago with Zamir and, and James Cook and stuff like that, you know, they, they didn't have that elite option like Georgia had in the past. It was just a solid group and people reacted a similar way. So I think it's interesting to see how Beck will continue to progress this season. I think that's going to be the biggest test for him. And, you know, if we're at a point where he's winning SEC championships or something like that, this conversation isn't going to happen. But I think we need to wait and see on that for him. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. But we've gone through all of Auburn, so let's close this section out. Final question, biggest takeaway from George's win over Auburn? The biggest takeaway that I had from the Auburn game is Georgia has the talent to make a three-peat. They have the five stars. They have the caliber of players that it would take for another championship run or even just another appearance in the college football uh, playoffs. They have the players to do so. It's really coming down to an execution standpoint, both offensively and defensively. If Georgia can figure out what they need to do in the first half to put up 20 points, they need to figure it out now before it gets into crunch time where playoff implications become so drastic. And then defensively, I mean, you mentioned it. I think the defensive line's playing great as well. I think the secondary's playing phenomenal. I think probably one of the better secondaries in the nation in, in the entire country. But the linebackers have been, you know, a little lackluster. Um, but they're they're there. Smile Munden's a returning guy. Pop is a returning guy. Like they have the talent to do this. It's just they need to figure things out. And that was the biggest takeaway for me because fourth quarter Georgia looked like a phenomenal team. And I think that's just like the biggest thing that I took away. Yeah, and and, and myself and Tori and all those other people in the Sanford press box against South Carolina were saying the same thing about that game. It looked like the national championship Georgia once again. And, you know, Auburn had its own mistakes. You know, Delp needs to clean up those fumbles. You can't be doing that as your tight end. Um, you know, there, you know, there needs to be opportunities where Georgia's throwing the ball a little bit earlier in games because, you know, we've talked about it before, but the percentage of play calls is about the same as last year. You know, the playbook is the same. It's just the order of things are being called. You know, we're seeing a lot more run, run plays and screens early rather than getting the ball down the field like we are in the second half. We just need to see kind of a switch up, but we know there's talent. You know, Pop and, and Smile are both returning guys. Smile himself is a five-star, but then you also got Xavier Sori out there, another five-star. You've got five and four-stars all across that secondary, except for Javon Bullard, who's a three-star, but he's proven himself time and time again. So you've got guys all over that team. You've got guys all over that offense as well. You've got an offensive line that has a lot of talented guys that are continuing to get healthier and, and grow together and seem to show at least a little something more each and every week, even if there's still struggles with it. I think there's another step that they need to take, and I'm curious if they're going to find that against Kentucky this weekend. I sure hope they do. Yeah, well, either way, thanks for coming on the show, Sam. It's always a pleasure to be here. Now, we'll be joined by digital sports editor Bo Underwood as we look ahead to Georgia's game against Kentucky this weekend. Welcome to the show, Bo. Thank you for having me, Owen. Absolutely. Happy to be here and filling in, uh, as I said at the top of the show. But anyways, you know, you'll be John, you'll be joined, of course, by John at the, uh, the Kentucky game. But yes. l- let's start discussing it right away. They're coming off a big win against Florida. A big win. Big time win. And, but they haven't really been particularly dominant all year. 
They've had some good wins, some closer than you'd like wins. So what can Georgia expect from this Kentucky team? Um, I mean, I think you're selling Kentucky a bit short. Like, they haven't had a close game all season, a uh, one-score game at least by definition. Um, they played Eastern Kentucky and won by 11, which was kind of a just a boring win for them, not really what you want to see from Western Kentucky. But, um, or Eastern Kentucky, sorry, pardon. Um, but, yeah, I think... Kentucky has not finished a game with a, with one score all year, which is more than you could say about Georgia. They are a really co- a really well coached team who they play really hard. Right now, I mean that's a bunch of cliches, but you know Mark Stoops has been there forever. He knows how to run this team at this point. Right now, I'd say they probably have the second best defense in the division behind Georgia. I think it's gonna be a hard fought game. Um, Kentucky just blew out Florida. They looked dominant in all three phases. Their defense had three sacks. They had an interception. They got a fumble. Um, right now, Kentucky is the best team Georgia has played all year. So, I can't disagree with that. Um, I mean, you look kind of over their schedule, and really the only win that does stand out to me is that Florida one. You know, a 45-28 to 28 victory over Vanderbilt. You know, 28 over 17 against Eastern Kentucky. Obviously, you'd like to see a little more, but you can say the same thing about Georgia. Right. So. You know, I think it's an interesting team. I, I completely agree that I think it's going to be an, an incredible defensive battle, and I thought that was what Kentucky-Florida was going to be until it just completely unraveled. So I'm curious what this defense can really do. Um, now, what kind of offense is Kentucky bringing to Sanford, and who's leading the way for that group? Yeah, I, I just did all that uh talking about their defense, but the story of that Florida game was Ray Davis, uh, Kentucky's running back. He ran for 280 yards and three touchdowns against a Florida defense that going into this week was playing really well on the season. Um, and he did it on just 26 carries, so averaging over 10 yards a carry in that game against that defense is mind-blowing. Kentucky is a really good running team. They've been that the whole season, which kind of surprising considering their huge offseason get was that they got Devin Leary from the portal, who was once one of the most prolific quarterbacks in the country when he was playing at NC State. He's had an iffy year, uh, to say the least, to put it nicely. The passing game has been kind of up and down, but it hasn't really mattered much so far because Kentucky is 5-0 and and they're running the ball well. Yeah, Ray Davis, um, a familiar foe for Georgia. He was a big-time running back for Vanderbilt, transferred to Kentucky and to replace uh, Chris Rodriguez, but he's yeah. been incredible Phenomenal. so far phenomenal player so far this year so it's been really impressive to see him really kind of stand out behind you know a team that in with Mark Stoops that has always kind of been big and physical on that line and with Ray Davis in the backfield I feel like it really shows Mm -hmm. but you know I think it is interesting the fact that Devin Leary's been so ineffective and I know their wide receiving group isn't fantastic but you know I kind of figured you kind of thought that maybe a few of those guys would have kind of come along and figured things out a little bit more with another year in the offense, but it's still a little bit of a struggle so far with that Kentucky team. Yeah, it was weird, too, because they brought back Liam Cohen as their offensive coordinator who, you know, put together some huge seasons with Will Levis back when a couple years ago, and then he spent, Cohen spent last year with the LA Rams, and then they hired him back, so their, like, their offense, yeah, their, their air attack has not been what I think a lot of people were expecting because Devin Leary was such a high-profile transfer for them, but you can't really make much out of it because they 
play their first four games out of conference, and then their first conference game, they just demolish Florida. So, can't, hard to complain too much, but eventually they are going to need a little bit more out of Devin Leary and that passing attack. Yeah, I'm curious if they start to kind of expand it a little bit more, and this could be the game to do it, especially because, you know, Georgia, I feel like, has been a very interesting defensive team. We just talked about it a lot with Sam there at the top of the show, but, you know, talk to me about it. What has, your been, what has been your interpretations of how Georgia has stopped the run game, and how do you think they're going to fare against a, a big-time opponent in Kentucky? Well, they just had their worst game against the run in five years, so there, there is that. Um, Auburn ran a lot of misdirection stuff that I think kind of confused Georgia a bit on defense, which was surprising because, you know, usually their Georgia's got smart enough players and really great coaching staff, and they usually don't fall for a lot of the, I think, the stuff that Auburn was running, but they did for whatever reason on Saturday. They also, Auburn benefited greatly from the fact that, you know, Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford, their two quarterbacks, command a lot of attention as runners as well, and I think that kind of opened up the field for not only them, but for the running backs whenever um, the quarterback made a decision to kind of hand that ball off. Devin Leary for Kentucky is not that type of rushing threat, but they don't need him to be, at least not right now, if Ray Davis is going to continue to have the year that he's having. Um, Georgia was really good against the run entering the Auburn game, obviously. You know, much has been made of this linebacker group and the defensive line that is sort of not playing where I think a lot of people were expecting them to play this year. Um, so, yeah, Georgia statistically fine against the run uh, entering Auburn, but after how that game went, there's definitely some reason to hold your breath considering the performance that Kentucky just put on last week. Yeah, and, and I know this this Georgia defense has been really weak against the quarterback run. Uh, if there's any solace for them this week, uh, Devin Leary currently averaging negative 17 rushing yards. Yeah. Um, so that might not be as big of a threat, but Ray Davis is easily the best back they've faced this year. So oh, we'll see. Absolutely. Although, again, no no shade or anything to Jarquez Hunter because he's also a very good no, running he, back. He but. balled out also. He, he, had a, he had some tough runs on Saturday, man. Oh, yeah. No, he fought through, but... You know, both of those guys are talented, but gosh, Ray Davis is something else. So I'm excited to see how he actually tests this defensive line, which, you know, early in the year, I feel like the secondary didn't get tested much. Mm-hmm. But now I feel like the, the the defensive line hasn't been fully tested because all of their runs were outside or QB runs. Right. Not a ton of opportunities for the defensive line to really shine. Uh, and then they, they did a couple times. They had some really good run stops every once in a while when they got an opportunity. But they did. I'm I'm curious to see yeah. how that that defensive line and even the linebackers step up to to try mm-hmm. and stop the force that is Ray Davis. Mm-hmm. But you know, on the other side of the ball, or even on the other side of the team, Georgia's got to figure out something offensively. And I feel like this was a question that we literally asked previewing the <laughs> UAB game. But what does Georgia have to do to really appease the fan base offensively in this game? Well, the fan base is going to want Carson Beck to throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns and Brock Bowers have 25 catches and 15 rushing attempts, which is, you know, that's probably not going to happen. Um, Kentucky Kentucky can really get after the quarterback. They've had eight different players of a sack this year. They're, they're middle of the pack statistically in terms of actually getting sack sacks, but they bring a lot of pressure from a lot of different areas of the field, which is always scary just because that's – the toughest type of pass rush to game plan for. This is going to be the best pass rush Carson Beck has faced all year. Uh, I think this is a better pass rushing team than Auburn had. So we're going to have to see what he can do when he's under pressure and he doesn't have 
all day to throw. Not that, you know, that's really been the case all year. Georgia's pass protection has been good this year, but there have been times where Beck has had to sort of improvise and make plays for his own, and I think he's going to have to do that again a lot this weekend. Um, I'd probably bet on him playing pretty well just because, like I said, he's looked good this season when he has been blitzed. Um, He's pretty good at making plays when the play breaks down. He's a good scrambler. He can usually keep his poise and find somebody downfield. But with all that being said, this defense and the way I think Georgia's going to have to end up attacking in this game is probably not going to result in some offensive explosion that I know all of the fan base is waiting on. They're waiting on that, you know, 50, 60-point game from Georgia. I don't think it's going to come in this one. Um, Kentucky has one of the most complete defenses in the conference, and this is going to be a pretty big test for this offense. Yeah, I feel like Georgia fans got a little bit used to the fact that Georgia would put a 40-burger on Oregon. Oh, yeah. You know, like, they got a little too used to that. But you look over the kind of the history of Kirby Smart, that's not really his style of winning football games. No. Um, He's very much a let the defense just kind of win and whittle them down and let Georgia's offense just win the game not mm-hmm. necessarily dominate the game but win just it. control the game man so it, i think we're a lot closer to that style of offense rather than the monkey explosion yeah. that was happening uh, absolutely so and i don't think that's necessarily a wrong thing it's not a fun thing it no. makes you it makes you sweat a little bit more if you're a georgia fan but mm-hmm. you know i think it's not a bad way to win games and if we're looking at the end of the year and georgia is back in a position where they were the past two seasons and you really can't fault Kirby too too much on the mm-hmm. way he's been he's been calling it. And although, when you get to that point, you may still have to put up some more points than mm-hmm. than the twenty they've been putting up lately. Right, but I think it is an interesting concept because there's a lot of different outcomes that could happen for this game. Yeah, <laughs> it could it could be just like last year, and it could be a super just a slugfest. <laughs> exactly, or Georgia could somehow choose this to be the game of their final great performance you know kirby's mm-hmm. been like you know we have a lot of not great wins but we're looking for we're a great win so we're still looking for a perfect one yeah exactly <laughs> so this could be either one but what could be the worst case scenario for georgia in this game what would they have to do to just take themselves out of a game that they're at home for and on paper they should be able to win yeah i mean the worst case scenario is is that they lose the game. Um, this is the SEC. This isn't Ball State anymore where I can come on here and say, the worst-case scenario, they'll play bad and still win by 20. No. You play bad, you lose this game. Um, not saying I believe that will happen, but I think the worst-case scenario specifically is Carson Beck gets flustered early, loses his composure, and then the offense ends up having a lot of negative plays that sort of kill drive before they even begin, You know, whether that's sacks or some of these screens that they like to run get blown up or the run game doesn't go at all. Either way, and then, you know, Brock Bowers is unable to, to just save everybody by himself, as he did last week. And then on defense, um, those concerns that I think are starting to pop up about the run defense from last week uh, start to intensify, and Ray Davis has another monster night, which then would allow Kentucky's offense to sort of control the game, dictate the pace, and this just isn't a team that you want to start super slow against and let them establish the run, because... As we saw with literally exactly what happened with Florida last week, when that happens and you allow Kentucky to sort of control the game, you lose. Um, So Georgia just has to sort of get out there and establish the run first drive, um, hang in there against the blitz and make some plays, convert their third downs when they have them in short distance, and 
they they'll be all right on offense if that happens. But if if this pass rush starts to get there a little too early, then that's when I think some concerns can start to arise about Georgia's offense. Yeah, I remember in that game, first drive, Georgia's on defense and they shut Auburn down. Mm-hmm. three and out, right? And it's a really dominant performance, and you're like, okay, if this continues, Georgia's going to wash this team out, Yeah, right? And then Georgia has a, a solid drive, but they kind of peter out around the 50, and, you know, you're close enough that you're like, you could go for it. You could get that pretty easily, yeah. and they elect not to. Punted. <laughs> they punt, and you're like, okay, well, maybe they just don't want to give Auburn the opportunity to get some offensive momentum, right? But then they immediately allow Peyton Thorne's 61-yard yeah. run, mm-hmm. and the game almost felt downhill from there. Mm-hmm. They just found momentum, and they kept rolling. Right. We know what Kentucky can do with that momentum, and we know that Georgia can give it up. So it almost feels like in those scenarios, don't even worry about giving the momentum because there's a good chance that, unlike on other years, they might just find it anyways. Mm-hmm. So when you've got some moment- offensive momentum yourself, I think this team needs to take it. Absolutely. But let's hop into it. Last segment here. Game pick, offensive MVP, defense, defensive MVP. Give me the MVP first, and then hop into your game pick. Okay. Um, my offensive MVP is Carson Beck, which is I know that's lame, and he's the quarterback, but just hear me out. Um, <laughs> he has I – mean, Carson Beck really showed a lot – uh, not yesterday, on Saturday. Um there were some big third downs that he was able to hang tough and make plays, and he really looked like somebody who doesn't get flustered under pressure. He looks like somebody who stays composed and just sort of keeps on playing his game, even no matter what the situation the score is. And I think they're going to need that again this week. Kentucky, I think, is going to try to dial some stuff up to get him sort of rattled early, and they're going to need him to not go for that, and I, I don't think he will. I think Carson Beck this season has looked like one of the most poised, relaxed quarterbacks in the country who just he doesn't put up the numbers that everyone wants him to put up, but he doesn't he doesn't wear down when, you know, the the, the, the going gets tough, I guess. Um, on defense, I these linebackers are going to have to be keyed in all day stopping the run, especially how they looked last week. And so I'll give it to Smile Munden because I think they're going to be a huge. They're going to need a huge day from him in the middle if they don't want to repeat of what happened to Auburn last week. So, yeah, if you can't tell already, I think this game is going to be um, a defensive battle to say the least. Um, I'll go twenty-three to seventeen Georgia, and I don't think it's going to be a very pretty looking game. Going to be going to be rough like last year. I think I think we're in for something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like and and I mean we can say this pretty safely, but every single time these two teams play, Kirby in the press conference is like, you know, physical team, you mm-hmm. know, really fought hard, that's, and that's yeah. that's the past. What like every single time? Yeah, they play, and that's what they are. That's th- what Kentucky is. That's they, what they've been for a long. They time. They will hit you. They will hit you until you cannot get up anymore. Oh yeah, and I'm expecting that myself. Mm-hmm. Um. Myself, offensive MVP, I think Ladd, second game back, I think he has a big game. Okay. You know, Brock Bowers has been keyed on these past two weeks. Ladd, you know, limited role last week mm. against Auburn. Made some huge plays, though. Made some huge yeah. plays, though, in his limited time. I think he's going to be on the field a lot more now, mm-hmm. and I think he's going to get those targets that he needs. Defensively, I think Javon Bullard could be huge for this game. Another guy dealing with injuries, but a guy that I think is, when they try and throw, is going to help kind of keep that close and keep Mm -hmm. that shut down but as a guy that is going to be dropped into the box is going to have the responsibility of having to to come off the edge kind of like Tyke did in this past game and make an impact in in 
in the run game as well as in the pass. So mm-hmm. I think Javon's going to be all over the field, and I think he's going to be a big player. But I'm right there with you with game picks. I think Georgia ends up probably taking this one 27 to 20. Okay. Uh, same, ex- same score exact same week. score as Auburn, <laughs> and I think it'll be freaky, but I think it would be, you know, and it's a bold call to go the same score as last week, but it feels almost right in a way just based on how these two teams are playing. So with that, we'll wrap up here, but thanks for coming on the show, though. Thanks for having me, Owen. Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm Owen Warden. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at redandblack.com. For even more Georgia sports coverage, visit redandblacksports.com slash sports. We'll tee it up between the headphones with John back again next week. Yes. Yes.